0: Well, hello and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever it, uh, you, it may be, whatever time of day it may be, when you hear this message, and may God bless you today as we read through the scriptures again together. This is Reverend K Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is episode 64 of Bible Bites as we continue reading through God's holy word this year, and today uh, my reading is found in Deuteronomy 17 through 20. And I just want to point out a few things. First of all, I want to encourage you to read God's Word every day. As a matter of fact, we'll touch on that in just a moment. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, we'll see uh, something about that. So I encourage you to be making use yourself a daily habit and a routine. Let it become second nature to you to be reading God's word and putting his word in into your heart and into your mind and filling your heart and mind with his word. So Deuteronomy 17 through 20. There are a few little points that I'd like to focus on right now. Um, and we see. Uh, first of all, in the very first verse, we find out this. It says, "This you shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or a sheep which has any blemish or defect, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God." I want to stop right there and just speak for that for a, for just a moment. It's interesting that the Lord established this pattern way back in the entire sacrificial system. And when you understand what the sacrificial system was designed to do, you understand why this is important. Because the whole of the sacrificial system recorded in the Old Testament, the purpose was to be a pattern for its fulfillment ultimately in Messiah Yeshua. And so Lord, the Lord establishes this pattern right here that whatever is offered to the Lord must not have any sin, any defect, any blemish or marring at all. And the purpose is because it was a pattern that pointed to the sinless Messiah who would be the ultimate sacrifice for sin and in order to understand how those patterns fit the best way the best bridge between the Old Testament Torah and the patterns and in the sacrificial and Levitical priesthood and the New Testament fulfillment in Messiah Yeshua Jesus Christ is the book of Hebrews. I would encourage you to read the book of Hebrews and see how beautifully Christ has fulfilled all of this. But Christ, we are taught here in this pattern that He would be sinless. He was the innocent, perfect Lamb of God who would die for the sin of the world. And He was, in fact, sinless because only a sinless blemish-free animal could have been offered to the Lord. And only a sinless sacrifice could have paid the ultimate price for our sins. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. We also find in verse 6 of chapter 17, a principle I'll speak about in a moment, but it's about the the principle of two or three witnesses um, being that it establishes a matter. Hallelujah. Then in verse 7 Notice this, where it's talking about in verse 6 and 7, that nobody can be put to death on the mouth of one witness. It has to be at least two or three witnesses that will attest to something. And then it says in verse 7, the hands of the witness, the witnesses will be the first against him to put him to death and afterward the hands of all the people. And I find that interesting when we connect it With an example that we find a story about Jesus and an encounter he had. When in John chapter 8, they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. Now according to Torah, both the woman and the man were to be killed. They were to be stoned. That was the Torah law. And so these accusers bring her to him. And what does Jesus say to them? Let him who is without sin be the first one. In other words they were the witnesses against her and yet they in good conscience could not condemn her because they were not sinless to begin with. But he took that example from this verse in verse 7. The hands of the witnesses were to be the first against that person to put them to death. So they brought to her and claimed to be witnesses against her and they brought him to, uh, brought her to, to Jesus and said, hey, she's supposed to be stoned. So Jesus says, okay, you're the witnesses. Be the first to stone her. But know this, are you without sin yourself? You see that pattern. See, he was doing that because of what the Torah had said and what the law had said. And because they were not sinless, they couldn't raise a stone against her. And they turned and left. And then Jesus was able to set her free and give her brand new life and forgive her for her sins. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. I want to point out one more thing in, no, actually, two more things out of chapter 17. First, just a comment on verse 16 talks about um, the, this is talking about the king. In this section, he's saying, God is saying, hey, I know there's going to come a day when y'all going to want a king. But let me tell you about what a king's going to do and how he's going to be. And and he gives them this instruction and this information in verses 14 all the way through the end of that chapter. And he talks about kings. And I want to make one more point about that in just a minute. But The point that struck me out of verse 16 was he was talking about the king should never multiply horses and want to go back to Egypt. He says at the end of that verse, he says, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Beloved, Egypt represents our sinful past. Those things that that were in our lives prior to being saved that God has delivered us from and set us free from. And beloved, we are never to go back to those things again. As a matter of fact, Jesus affirmed this in John chapter 8, verse 36. John, uh, Jesus said this, and John records it for us. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And that word that, that is um, translated indeed literally is talking about how it is set in stone. In other words, it's established. You don't ever have to go back to that again. You c- can choose to, but you don't have to. The power of that sin over you is broken, just like when God delivered them and he drowned them in the Red Sea. Their power was broken and ended right there. And they could never again pursue the children of Israel to overtake them. Beloved, when the Son sets us free, we are free indeed. And I pray that you will come into that freedom that the Son of God has for you in Jesus' name. He goes on down in 18 through 20 of chapter 17 and he speaks about the responsibility of the king. And the king was to write. He was to copy the Torah. He was to copy the Word of God for himself. And then he was to read it every day. Beloved, read the Word of God every day. God even instructed his kings To read his word every day so that it would be fresh and they would be learning and they would be fearing the Lord and honoring him and choosing a lifestyle of obedience and blessing from the hand of the Lord. In chapter 18, I want to point out this In I want to read verse 15 to you. It says this, the Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him. You shall hear. This is Moses speaking. And then it goes on down in verse 17. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. This prophet, this coming prophet was known to the Jewish people To be the Messiah that had been the promised one. As a matter of fact, they were looking for him in the time of Christ. One of the things that they asked um, John the Baptist, one of the questions they asked him, Are you the prophet? They were referring to this prophesied prophet from Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18 here where God promised to raise up a prophet, and they knew that prophet to be the coming Messiah. And we know that that was fulfilled in Jesus. God put his words in Jesus' mouth, and he spoke. And remember, they were amazed because he spoke with authority. He spoke with anointing. He was the prophet to come on the scene. And even in the life of Jesus, we see him act as prophet. He prophesied in Matthew 24 and other places. He prophesied of things to come. He prophesied of his own death, burial, and resurrection. He was a prophet. He was the prophet that God had promised to raise up in Deuteronomy 18. Excuse me. Then in Deuteronomy 19, I want to point out how in verse 15, it establishes a principle that God himself operates by in his word. In verse 15, it says this, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established and that is true throughout the Scriptures. God even operates by that. As a matter of fact, we see it all the way from Genesis to Revelation. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 18 and 19, we see the Lord come to Abram with two, we believe to be, angels. And these angels go on into Sodom and they are there are two because it was by the mouth of two or three witnesses anything had to be attested and you'll read in chapter 18 when the lord is speaking with abram and he tells him that the cry against Sodom has come up to my ears, and we are come down now, what? To establish it, to verify it, to attest to it. So the two witnesses go, and they can attest to the wickedness of Sodom. And so they go in there. Now, following that same pattern, all the way in the book of Revelation, we see the rise Prophesied of two witnesses, and they follow the exact pattern that God established in Genesis nineteen. They will do the same type of work in that day, in that coming day, that those angels did in the war, in the field of Sodom in the time of Sodom in Genesis nineteen. God always operates by his own principles here like he established in his word. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. You can find that to be true throughout the word of God as well, especially when it comes to doctrinal matters. You will see in the New Testament, several of the writers all attest to the same thing, that's one of the reasons we have four gospels because we have four different writers accounting to many of the exact same events they are all attesting to that so that the matter is established and it can it is verified and it can you can bank on it. you can believe it because it's true. Hallelujah, praise be to God and then lastly. In chapter 20, I'd like to read verses 1 through 4, and then I want to close with this with this thought. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, Today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint, nor be af- do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes be- who goes with you, excuse me, to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Hallelujah. The Lord is fighting with us and for us. And beloved, we have battles in this life. We have an enemy. Paul tells us about this enemy in 2 Corinthians 10 and in Ephesians 6, but he also tells us about the weapons of our warfare against this enemy. And that we that the Lord is with us when we fight against the enemy, In Jesus' name, and we fight on our knees, we fight with our our minds and the spiritual weapons that he speaks of in 2 Corinthians 10 and in Ephesians chapter 6. So I encourage you today, when our enemy, when we are facing the enemy of our soul and, and we are battling him, do not be afraid, even though he may appear to be stronger than us, because according to John in 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If you are a beloved child of God and you are in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God in you is alive and you have the greater one living in you to fight against the enemy for you and he is fighting for you. So I encourage you to do not be afraid of the enemy because the Lord gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. May God bless you today. Maybe you'll be encouraged by this word and I hope you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you in Jesus name.